Hey friends, this is the South Bend City Church Podcast. I am Jason. Uh, I get to be a part of this new church that is emerging right now, that's coming together, growing together for the city of South Bend. Uh, we call ourselves a community of grace and peace for our city and the world. And uh, that's sort of an identity statement for us, something that we hope to grow into over time. So what we've done is we, we announced this thing in the spring, early in 2016, and then we had a chance to dream together and pray together for a bit. And then we took some time to experiment with different ways of being a church. Now, a lot of the experimentation that we did over the summer was sort of help, meant to help us let go of some of our ideas about what a church is so that we can rediscover that word, right? So there's a bit of a deconstruction going on through the summer. And now as we gather weekly on most Wednesday nights at the Brick in South Bend, we're using that time to work through the book of Acts in the New Testament, which is the story of the very first moments of the movement that we're a part of that we call the church. And we are discovering together what it looks like for a group of people, all kinds of different people, to grow together into the community of Jesus and to be a part of the expansion of his goodness and his work and his vision for the world. And so uh, so that's what we're doing every week right now. We, we're somewhere between dreaming and launching, and we're using this moment, this season that we're in, to discover a fresh vision of what church is by going back to that text in the scripture and letting it create new possibilities for us. So, uh, so back on November 2nd, which again, I know we're a bit late getting this episode out, but this is a little over a week ago, uh, we had the privilege of hearing from Ryan Yazel. Ryan is on our staff team. Uh, Ryan has spent uh, well over a decade doing really good and beautiful work in the city of South Bend in a neighborhood called Keller Park that is really close to his heart. And uh, Ryan is on our team. He's on our staff. He's a leader in our church. And we've asked Ryan, like, be the champion who helps us be a great church for the city, a church that is close to the city, that's interconnected with the city, that weeps when the city weeps, that rejoices when the city rejoices, and that understands how it is that we can be um, in great relationship with our neighbors. So that's Ryan, and uh, it was such a privilege to learn from him as he took us through a little bit of the book of Acts. So um, as always, if you want to know what's going on with South Bend City Church, the best thing to do is to go to the website, southbendcitychurch.com. If you really want to stay in the loop, you can sign up for the newsletter there. And then we'll be sure to let you know whenever there's something that you need to know about what we're up to or what's next or how you can be a part of it. And uh, I just want to say, if you're if you're listening on the podcast and you're wondering if it's worth checking out, just know that um, we're welcoming any kind of person who wants to come be a part of this community, and we'd love to see you there. So uh, Wednesday nights, most Wednesday nights at the Brick, uh, but check the website before you show up just to make sure that we're going to be there. And one way or another, we'd love to see you soon. Uh, that being said, let's go back to Wednesday, November 2nd and hear from Ryan uh, about the book of Acts. So we are going through the book of Acts together. That's what uh, Jason has been able to teach us through the last three weeks. The book of Acts is really interesting because it's written by Luke, who's the same guy that wrote the book of Luke, right? So he's continuing the story. In the book of Luke, he tells a story of all the things that Jesus did in his time on the earth. And he's talking about how God has entered into the world and he's fundamentally changed the way that we're able to interact with God and fundamentally changed the way we see the world and we see others. So that was the story of Luke. And then in Acts, we see how the church functions 
things differently and how they're living differently as a result of it. So all the stories we see of the church, we're seeing them living out and trying to practice and trying to feel out these things that we're told uh, from the teachings of Jesus in the book of Luke. So we're going to pick up in the book of Acts uh, near the end of chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's going to be in the program too. Uh, But as we pick up the story, the early church has started to go through some difficult times, right? Uh, As Jesus left them and went back to be with the Father and the Holy Spirit came to them, things were going pretty well at first. And then they started to face some opposition. There were some people that weren't happy with them. Uh, Some of the the church leaders and religious leaders started to, to give them hassle and give them problems. Some of the government leaders started to give them problems. So we pick up at the end of Acts 4 with the people feeling a little discouraged. They just uh, came out, the disciples just came out of this time of being kind of questioned and and browbeaten by the leaders in the area. And they get back and they're meeting together. And as they're meeting together, they say, God, we need you to just reveal yourself clearly to us. We need you to step out and do crazy, amazing things to to really just show yourself to the world, to to show people that we are your church, that we are acting on your behalf, uh, to kind of silence the haters that are out there, right? God, we need you to do something really special. And we see right after they prayed that, the room that they were in started shaking, and it said that the Holy Spirit came on them. And that's where we pick up the story that we have in Acts chapter 4. So we're going to look at Acts 4, 32 through 35, which you have in your program there. So it says this, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anybody as he had need. Now, this is interesting for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons it's interesting is we just heard a story very much like this back in Acts chapter 2. And when you see stories that seem to be repeated, uh, you can know that, one, there must be something important there. Right? And two, you can know that there's something specific that the author wants us to know about the story that he's telling this time, right? And so we have to look at when he's telling it and why he's telling it. And he's telling this story about the believers meeting together and sharing everything in common. He's telling it right at a time where they had prayed that God would show up and do these crazy, miraculous things so all the world could see how great God is. Right, So they're praying for miraculous signs and wonders, and the very first thing we see God doing is bringing the people together to meet together. And that is miraculous, if you think about it. Look at those things that are there in that passage. At the beginning, all believers were in heart, were one in heart and mind. I mean, how many times can we as Christians seem to agree on anything, right? There's like hundreds of thousands of denominations that exist in the world and exist in the church because churches can't agree on things, right? And yet here you have the early church that they were together and they were one of mind together. That's pretty miraculous, right? What else were they doing? Uh, It said, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything that they had. That's pretty radical. I don't want us to skip over that or to miss anything in there. People having all their stuff and saying, all the stuff that's mine isn't really mine, but it's just stuff that exists and currently it's in my possession, but hey, whoever needs it, you can have it. That's radical stuff. 
I don't know if you've played the game of life, uh, but I've played the game of life, and that's not how you win the game of life, right? That's a good way to get to Countryside Acres and miss the Millionaire Estates, right? It's like a straight ticket there, if you even finish the lap at all, if you're already giving away all your stuff the whole time, right? That is no way to succeed at the game of life. So already we're seeing the people who are doing these crazy things. It's like they were playing an entirely different game. It's like they, it's, it's like they were trying to lose. It's like, it's like they believe that if they came in last, they would come in first. Okay, now I'm getting it, right? They're not trying to win the same games the rest of the world is playing. Jesus had taught them some things that they were trying to soak in, and they were living differently as a result of it. The third thing we see in there is that there were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales. All right, this is kind of hard for us to maybe understand here in the United States where uh, many of us uh, have property that we own or it's not uncommon to own land or not uncommon to own houses. But back then, owning property was a really significant thing. Only the wealthiest of people had property that they were able to own and only the wealthiest of people had houses that they were able to own. Owning property and houses was the thing that distinguished the, the haves from the have-nots. It was the thing that separated the classes, whether or not you had property. So in many ways, we can think of it like, okay, like people were selling their houses and giving the money to the church. That's really generous of them. But here, it's not just about the money, and that's what we need to see. People weren't just giving all their stuff. They were actually willing to let go of their social standing and let go of the very thing that gave them social class advantage so that they could stand in solidarity with the other people who didn't have those same privileges. They were sharing things in common. They were letting go of their status. They were seeing each other as equals. It's a pretty amazing thing if we step back and think about it. So Luke's telling us a story and then he goes on and he wants to tell us not just that this story is unique, but how powerful and how interesting this story is. So he comes to the next story that's in Acts chapter 5, verses uh, 1 through 11. Uh, and in, this is in your program as well. And in this next story that he comes to, uh, he tells a story of Ananias and Sapphira, which I'm sure became an instant classic uh, bedtime tale for the children. So Acts chapter 5, uh, let's start reading. He says, Now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. So they were doing what the others were doing. Uh, with his wife's full knowledge, though, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and you've kept some of your money that you'd received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward and wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. In the next verses, we see the exact same thing happened to his wife. She came in, they asked her uh, what was going on. She affirmed his story, and then she dropped dead too, and they carried her out. And we see at the end there, it says, great fear then sees the whole church and all who heard about these events. Uh, yeah, 
That's, you have this great story in Acts chapter 4 of all these lovely, wonderful things going on, and then Luke totally comes in and kills the mood with this like, story about people dropping dead, right? And you're like, what are you doing, man? Like, you're really kind of discouraging me from participating in the behaviors that I'm seeing in the previous thing, right? It's like, if you do this, it's great. And then if you, if you mess it up, then, then you're dead. You know, like, this is not exactly great encouragement to proceed according to that. So what is he doing? Well, what he's trying to do here is he's trying to tell us how awesome the story at the end of Acts 4 is. He's trying to tell us how powerful the experience of the people in the church that were meeting together was. I don't see that. I see people dying. It kind of freaks me out. But the people back then, they would have seen this. They would have seen the connection between this and other stories that they had known. One of these stories that they would have heard is the story of this group of people called the Pythagoreans. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking he's about to talk about triangles. I'm not. All right? Uh, the Pythagoreans, yeah, they kind of loved their math and did all that kind of stuff. Um, but that's where our math uh, flashbacks to geometry class end, okay? They were also uh, philo it was philosophers uh, that got together and they believed things very deeply and had deep conversations about things. And these Pythagorean philosophers, they were known, curiously, to be people who had everything together, had everything in common. They were living very much like we saw the early church in the end of Acts 4. They were living life like that. And they weren't doing it because they felt like God told them to do it. Because they didn't believe in God the way we believe in God. They were doing it because they were pursuing what they thought was goodness itself. They were doing it because it was the good and pure and right thing to do. So you had this group of people that was meeting together and doing all these things just for goodness sake alone. They were, they, were, they were doing all these things. And everybody else around them saw them as like the height of goodness, right? If you can think of like the best kind of people you know and like the kind of people who like are always helping others and always doing the right thing, that's the reputation that the Pythagoreans had. Everybody else was like those people, they got it right. Those are good people, right? And the interesting thing about the Pythagoreans is how they were known. So listen to this. This is from other historians who wrote about the Pythagoreans. One historian said they were people who had one soul. Actual quotes. Another one, they were friends who have their goods in common. Another quote, nothing was one's own among these people. Man, that sounds a lot like the story we just read, doesn't it? And the people of that day who were hearing this story uh, about the, the early church, they would have hear, heard the connections between these two groups of people, right? So here's the kicker at the end. Uh, the Pythagoreans uh, thought so highly of the purity of their pursuit of goodness, the purity of sharing things in common, the purity of not uh, desiring uh, stuff for us selfishly. They thought so highly of it that if anybody came into their group and was only faking it, they were people who, who, who were wanting to kind of get with the cool kids but like didn't really like do it for the right reasons. If anybody came in and was faking it, they would kick them out and they would treat them as though they had died, even going to the point that they would actually construct tombs for them uh, with their names on them and everything, right? 
That's interesting. So you had this group that was known for being so good, is so pure, that if anybody was faking it, they were so outcast that it was though they were dead. Are you seeing the connection between the stories now? Right? Here's one other one besides the Pythagoreans. The story of Uzzah, which was in 2 Samuel 6. Now, Uzzah was one of God's people, the people of Israel, and uh, God's people uh, were known to have the presence of God with them, right? And so they had this thing that they carried around that was called the Ark of the Covenant. It was basically this box that had a bunch of different things in it, but it was also seen to have the presence of God. It was like a Game Boy that has all the power of Nintendo, but in the palm of your hand, right? You're like accessing all of God's power and then putting it into this box, his presence was there. It was how they were seeing it, believing it. And so because God's presence was there, you had to take care of that. Yeah, you couldn't just be uh, flippant about it. And so they had all these rules about who had to carry the box around, carrying what poles, and how they had to go about doing it, and all these different things, because God is so pure and so holy and so right that you don't dare not take that seriously. Because what would happen if just normal man comes into contact with a holy God, well, he'd surely die. Well, one day, the people of Israel uh, put this cart, put the Ark of the Covenant, uh, uh, put the box, the Ark of the Covenant, on a cart, and they were doing this for who knows what reasons, probably because they were lazy, they wanted ox to carry it so that they didn't have to carry it. There were some other things going on at the time. So they put it on a cart, uh, which was already kind of violating the rules. And as the, the cart is being carried by the oxen, one of the oxen trips, and the cart starts to fall over, and a guy named Uzzah, who seemed like a good dude from the description, he reaches out his hand to try and touch the cart, or to try and stabilize it so it doesn't fall over, and as he touches it, he ends up dropping dead. So here we have another story of the presence of God that is so pure and so holy and so right that when someone comes into contact with it without giving it the proper respect, they can't even survive it. So we see what Luke is trying to do in telling us the story of what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. He is trying to say the meeting of the group of people, like the Pythagoreans, was so good that, that not only were people considered as dead, but they actually were dead if they didn't take it seriously. And not only was the meeting of the, the church so good uh, that, that it was though they were following God, but it's actually that God was there in their midst as though his presence was there right in the middle of them to where anybody who came into contact unprepared couldn't survive it. To understand this really weird story in the middle of Acts, we first have to understand that this story in Acts 5 is supposed to just tell us how awesome what was going on in Acts 4 was. But if we're honest, like it's still a little weird that people died, right? And it's still a strange story, and I don't fully get it. And I don't think, us today, I think it does violate our sensibilities and what we think is right or fair. Uh, but I, all I can say is I do think that the people back then, uh, while they were afraid when this happened, they would have seen it more normally than how we see it today. But I don't think it's something that we can't connect to, because in some ways, I feel like I really do connect to it. In some ways, I feel like I've lived both sides of the story. I feel like I've lived the side of Ananias and experienced that. I was a pastor's kid, grew up in a conservative Baptist environment. Anybody else grew up like that? Um, 
I, it was a trick question because conservative Baptists won't raise their hands or do anything. So, <laughs> uh, but that, but that's the environment. My dad was a pastor, and so you know we were at church three to four times a week. Uh, we were always serving at the church. Beyond that, um, we were always spending time with each other. We were singing songs. We were listening to sermons. Uh, we were tithing. We weren't drinking. We weren't smoking. We weren't cussing. You know, like we had all these things that we were and that we weren't. And so uh, I saw that, and, and I remember one day looking at my mom in a worship service, and my mom's great, and I look, was looking at her, and she was, like, singing so, like, passionately. And I was like, this is meaningful to her. Like, why is this not meaningful to me? Why, why am I not feeling what she's feeling? Why does this seem so strange? And, and I remember wondering, and so I decided, like, I was going to just try harder, Right, so I was gonna really kick in and try to like do this thing right so that I could end up feeling the way, finding the life that I saw that my mom was experiencing, right? So I kick in and I start doing that. So, you know, I start singing the songs out really loud, you know, and really giving myself to that. And after, later on when we left the Baptist church and went to another church, I even like started clapping because uh, that was something you could do at that one, right? And then later on, like we went to a more charismatic one and I was able to like even raise my hands a little bit, but not all the way up because I didn't have the self-confidence to do that. Uh, but I was like really giving myself to this thing. I was going to really try and make a go of it. Uh, growing up, I was the, you know, the Bible verse memory champ in 1986. Yeah. Uh, I was preaching sermons in high school. I was leading our youth group in high school. I went to college. I was volunteering uh, as a youth leader uh, in a high school group that was here in town. Uh, I became a ministry. You know, I was doing all of these things just trying to feel the way that I saw my mom feel to try and find and experience that life. Uh, and to some extent, I was so close because I was able to do those things and I was able to do those things as much and even better in some ways than the others I saw around. Of all the religious people, I was really acing the test. But if I'm honest, it was killing me inside. I was just faking it and I felt it killing my spirit. I resonate with the story of Ananias faced with the pressure of pursuing this thing you see but not really knowing what it means to get there. I also experienced the other side of it though and I'm thankful that's not the end of my story. Uh, for the last 12 years I've been able to participate in this small little church along the river in South Bend called the Keller Park Church. Uh, many of my neighbors and uh, friends are here tonight, and thanks to the ISI group that used to meet in our basement. Yeah, a lot of those guys are over here tonight, so great to have you. Um, so I was, I was there in that neighborhood, and we honestly, when I first got there to pastor that church, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I had all these thoughts and religious plans. Uh, but we started just, a group of us, over time, we were just reading and studying and looking at scriptures and looking at Jesus and saying, hey, the Jesus we see, man, this doesn't really match with the experience of religion that we've had. We see Jesus talking about different things and seeing things differently. And it seems like my whole life was just adding Jesus to my life, but the, the life Jesus was talking about was this radically different life. And so together we started seeing, uh, through the things we were reading and the conversations we were having, we started seeing our beliefs change about how we saw life and what we were pursuing. Over time, we began to really believe that our stuff is just stuff to be used for God's purposes, that if our treasure is supposed to be in heaven, then what is this stuff around us? It's, it's just stuff. 
And we be, over time, we began to believe that we followed a Jesus who turned the other cheek. And if Jesus turned the other cheek and taught us to do the same, then self-protection, we believed, was not a virtue. And over time, we began to believe that the way to find life, which is what I was looking for, was to lose it. And so we had all these conversations and our beliefs began to change. And as our beliefs began to change, our life began to change. And we began to say, if self-protection isn't a virtue, then why do we keep running from the places that need hope most? What if we ran towards them instead? And we started seeing people embrace that call. We saw people uh, that were selling their houses, even nice big houses in the suburbs, and moving into our neighborhood to live and to love. We saw parents begin to say, I want my kids in those schools that are struggling so that we can be a part of a solution. I saw someone give a car away one time because somebody else needed it. And I was like, well, that's, man, that's much bigger than I could ever think about doing. And, and, I, and then I was like, but, you know, if a car is just a stuff, then I guess, it, I guess that makes sense if it's just stuff. And then I saw it happen again and again. It was crazy. As we were believing these things and as we were seeing others practice it, it began to be this challenge of living an entirely different way than the normal game of life. I saw some of my friends get robbed by a teenager and welcome back into their home for dinner days later. I saw families begin to say, we have an extra room. What's a room? You need a place to stay. We have a room. Come stay with us. And over time, there was a significant portion of our small little church body that had other people living in the homes than people in the genetic biological family, which led into uh, this wave of foster care and adoption being placed on our hearts. And then I never would have dreamed of it. I never would have thought of it, but it made sense. And we, we saw it in our beliefs and we saw it in scripture, but I'd never seen it in practice. And then one of our friends ended up becoming foster parents and then other friends becoming foster parents and then it soon became this thing that became a normal way of living out our faith in the world and it led us to have a third daughter that I never would have expected to have and never could imagine living life without and we were literally sharing things in common not because we should but because it was the contagious overflow of these things that we had begun to believe over time and my plans for my life were turned upside down in that but in losing my life in that community I found the fullest life that I'd ever experienced I found those things that I was really looking for most that I had not been able to find so my hope for us as a church is that we can become that acts for community that over time as we're talking to each other and we're studying and we're seeing this new way of being human, we will see it overflow from who we are in all sorts of ways perhaps we never imagined, in ways that are so clear to the world that it must be God's work because normal people don't do those kinds of things. I would love for us to experience that. But let's not forget about Ananias and Sapphira because that's still an interesting story. I want to go back and finish that up. Let's look uh, in that passage, Acts 5, at verses 3 and 4, at what was going on there. Okay, so when they're confronted, Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? 
Verse 4, don't you know that you should have given it all? Wait, no, that's not what he said. He says, didn't it already belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What would even make you think of doing such a thing? So the criticism here isn't that Ananias and Sapphira didn't do enough. It wasn't that God is saying to them, hey, I want you to give 100%. You gave 90%. You know, you owe me. Let's get it together. The criticism was not that they did not do enough. The criticism was that they did more than they were ready to do. That they acted not because of what they believed, not out of the overflow of their heart, but out of some other thing, whether it was religious obligation or social pressure. The story of Ananias and Sapphira is people that gave in to the overwhelming pressure of religious duty. And sometimes that's the problem. Sometimes the problem is that uh, we end up trying so hard that we miss the point. Early in the Cubs series, uh, the Cubs were obviously like down in the series, right? And the manager was saying, the problem is we have young players who are just pressing too much. And what he was saying in the pressing too much was that uh, they're trying so hard to win that they're not doing the things that would make them successful to accomplish that. They're not being themselves anymore. They're not coming out of the overflow of who they are and said they're trying to do something that is keeping them from the goal that they actually want. They're pressing too hard. And I think we get that. Perhaps there's some of you tonight that your entire experience with God has felt like you're pressing, like you're pushing towards this thing that's always beyond you. You're performing instead of practicing, instead of just playing the game out of the overflow of what God has put in you. For those of you that have felt like you're pressing, Jesus responds in Matthew 9, 13. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And he's quoting from Hosea 6, which is in your programs. And in Hosea 6, uh, God is talking to the people of Israel. They're in this weird spot where uh, they are still doing the religious things they're supposed to be doing in many ways. They're doing all the like duties but their hearts are so far gone. The story of Hosea is one of uh, unfaithfulness of the heart, even when the actions sometimes are still aligning okay. Right? And so he comes to those people and he says, uh, just so you know, I desire your mercy, not your sacrifices and your burnt offerings. He's saying, you're coming to church, you're doing all the religious things, you're checking all the religious boxes, and you think you're all right, but the problem is, is that I want your heart That's all I want. I want your heart, and your heart is far from me, even though your religious duties are still in line with the things you think I want. He said, I don't want your religious duty. I want your heart. We have a God that I think wants us to stop pressing and just start playing the game again. So if you're here tonight and you've been crushed by the weight of religious performance, rest in the freedom of, of a God who has no interest in you faking it. And if you're here and you feel like you're in a different place, you're in a place that you are feeling this stirring, this this, uh, movement of God in your life to to live in a different way, to be a whole different kind of human, to interact with the world in a whole different way, 
then we have one thing that we want to talk about tonight that can just be an initial very small first step for us in taking action together. So uh, Rusty, can you go ahead and come on up with us? All right, everybody, this is Rusty. I'm going to give you this microphone here. So Rusty is from uh, Hope Ministries. Rusty, uh, first of all, like, what's your title there again? Because I always forget it. I have the worst title. Um, I am the director of Grace Communities. Um, so what that means is helping our, f our residents, our folks that are living at Hope, um, find a healthy community outside of Hope um, and helping most of, most of all that's churches um, and helping churches become a home for our residents once they leave so that they have a community when they exit Hope. Cool. So you talk Hope and Residents. For those who may not know what Hope Ministries is yep. or what Residents are, can you tell us? So Hope um, has been in South Bend for 63 years and it's um, it started out as a soup kitchen, homeless shelter, rescue mission, um, and has still has all of those roots. Um, but we are a, a place of healing, um, and there's a, there's 117 um, people that live at Hope. We have a floor for families, a floor for single women with children, a floor for men with with kids, single dads with kids and a floor for women and a floor for men. So uh, pretty much anyone, wherever, however they're coming, has a place with us. Okay, so. and, it, and it's not just people that are just merely lacking housing, but people who need other services as well, oftentimes, right? Correct, so we don't really like to refer ourselves to a, a homeless shelter. Uh, it's, it's more of a transitional living space, um, but what we offer is a faith-based program which is the substance of the whole thing that we do. Awesome. And we've talked a lot. So one of the things we want to get to down the, the road is realizing that many of these problems, uh, challenges that, that exist in our world, need more than just contributing resources to them, right? Uh, many of the, the needs that hope could have from us is, is just walking along through life with people uh, and being a friend and showing Jesus in our relationships with people. And so those are things that we're going to into, enter into down the road. But resources are also a thing uh, for you guys. What, what, a, what is the basis of, uh, of how you guys use resources and need resources? Yeah, so um, besides offering housing, um, we also ha we've never missed a, a lunch or a dinner in 63 years. So our kitchen is always open to anyone. Um, so that averages out this year to be about 10,000 meals a month. Um, and that's an incredible amount of work and an incredible amount of money. Yeah. Um, but we are, the, we are the only service in the city that continues to do that daily from year to year. So that is always a need um, to have partners to help us provide those meals because we can't fix the soul. You don't fix the soul without, without you know, providing yeah. the meal to get, get people yeah. safe and, and warm and healthy. Yeah. So that, that's one of, one of the ways. And then... Um, not, not to state the obvious, but you have counselors on staff correct. and caseworkers and all so that kind of stuff, and I'm, they're not volunteers, I'm guessing? 
Correct. So we have, we have, um, with our part time, we have about 32 people on staff. And so case managers, um, we have a full resource center where people can get their GED and um, continue on with education or, or work training, all of those, all of those things. Um, but the core of what we do is we believe that we, we want to offer all those services, but we know that each person that comes to our door has the issue of pain. Mm. And unless they're able, just as we all do, it's not, it's not just the people that show up at our door. We all are, if, if addiction's in our life, whatever brings them to our door is that the pain is unmanage, unmanageable. And that is the job of every person at Hope, yeah. is to be in touch with our own pain as staff yeah. um, so that we can help um, the folks get to the root cause of why these symptoms keep coming up in their lives. Great. And the answer to that is we hope that they find Jesus in that. You don't have to be a Christian to join our program. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of folks that aren't, but we, we believe that Jesus is the answer to that pain. But unless you're willing to go there, we find the revolving door around the homeless shelters. Unless someone's ready to get to that pain, it's really going to be hard to overcome the addictions. Yeah. So that costs a lot, but we yeah. believe that it's 100% worth it because yeah. we've seen it over and over again. Yeah. Unless we spend the time, um, we see ourselves as a hospital. Right. Um, unless someone's willing to come into the hospital and let the surgeon who is God um, do that work, it's, it's not going to, it's not going to turn out well. Yeah. Yeah, the things that are going on are things that we need the expertise of Hope to lead us in. So Hope is a ministry separate from any specific church, but it's kind of like all of us of churches come together and say, hey, we're going to all figure out a way together to, to be able to help people through the midst of their pain, right? And so they are providing the expertise. They are providing the, the, the time and the knowledge uh, to be able to do this, and we're, we want to come alongside of them. Hope will be a partner that you'll hear a lot more about. Uh, but for tonight, we have a simple step that Jason is going to introduce to us moving forward tonight. Thanks, Rusty. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, um, man, I really resonate. Rusty, as you're talking about hope, I've had a, a little bit of a chance to be there just a little bit to see what's going on. Ryan's been able to put more time in there. And when I hear Rusty talk about how they try to serve the people they're serving through hope, I don't know about you guys, part of me thinks like, can I sign up? I need that. <laughs> Which I think you're, you're speaking to, there's an equality there, right? Like some may have a home and some may not, but all of us really are on a journey of this sort of inner work and healing. And so our relationship with, with Hope or any other group that's trying to help South Bend flourish, trying to help every person flourish, it, it's not like us serving them. It, it's the sense that we're all in this together. We're in the city together. We're all human together. <laughs> we all have wounds. We all have hopes. And it's a sense that we're um, trying to move forward together. So that's uh, something Ryan's been helping me understand as we think about our relationship with the city of South Bend and the ways that we're trying to serve. So I want you to hear that loud and clear before I tell you what our step is, because our, our vision for this is holistic and, and big, right? However, um, we're in a season right now where um, needs increase. Uh, weather makes things even harder for the homeless in our city. Um, and we just want to take a step, like a step, 
to be a good partner with uh, Hope as we serve the city. So here's the deal. Um, next week, when we gather uh, for South Bend City Church right here at the Brick, next week, the offering that's given during the service when we pass the baskets, every penny of that's just going to go to Hope, and we're going to tell them, do whatever you want to do with that. That's just direct that towards staffing or toward weather amnesty or toward just anything that's helpful. We don't want to be the ones telling them what to do. They're the experts on that. Right. Um, but I want you to know now because we want you to like be prepared for that. You can bring a check. Um, if you bring a check, write it out to South Bend City Church, but we'll put all that together with all the cash and every penny that goes in the baskets next week will go to Hope. So I want you to like, you know, go to the ATM on the weekend and just like clean things out and... Uh, <laughs> Um, but I also want to say this before we sort of wrap this up, which is um, we desperately want to be a generous community. We, we want generosity to mark our lives and to mark our church. A lot of us feel uncomfortable about the fact that it just seems like often when a guy like me, like a pastor or a preacher, stands up and talks about generosity, it seems like it's always about getting all of you to be generous to this thing. You can just sit quietly with that, okay? But I, I know some of you relate. Like, and it's easy to get there, right? Like every week we have a budget to work on and we have expenses that we're trying to manage and it's, it's hard, right? But we desperately want to be a church that talks about generosity in a holistic way. We want to talk about being generous individuals, generous with your coworkers, with your family, with your neighbors, with strangers. And we want to be a church that's um, generous in the way that we fund this because we believe in it, but we want to be a church that's generous in the way that we interact with others who also care about the flourishing of South Bend. So um, this is the first time uh, since we started gathering regularly that I'm making like a big money push, and I just hope you hear me. It's because we want to be generous outwardly, not just inwardly. So next week, um, if you want to be a part of that, uh, just come prepared for make an offering for hope. Um, but I also just really appreciate, Ryan, your word. Like, this is not coercive. Man, like, I, just sitting in the corner there, I was just so marked by the example that you turned our attention to, you know? Um, before uh, ask Ryan to give us a benediction to wrap things up, I just want to say, especially because we have so many new faces here, we believe uh, that like what we're doing on Wednesday nights does not end at 7:45, even though this part of it ends at 7:45. So here's the deal: after uh, we have our benediction and blessing and all that, um, we kind of like turn this place into a hangout zone. So uh, we've got an over 21 area right past that like very foreboding steel door that's closed right now. Uh, we will have Cubs Indians on in there, just so you know. Uh, but also, because we saw so many new faces here tonight, we actually, uh, Laura, who's one of our rock stars, uh, Laura ran to Hacienda and bought piles and piles and piles of chips and salsa, and that's on top of the apple cider and the uh, rise and roll donuts that are over there. So I just want you to know that like we made provisions. Uh, please feel free. And then here's one more thing. If you have been to South Bend City Church more than once, if tonight is not your first night, I'm officially commissioning you. You are a greeter, a welcomer, a hospitality team member for the rest of the night, right? Right? Because yep. uh, we want other people who are new here tonight just to know that uh, we love you. We're grateful that you're here with no pressure whatsoever, except that uh, we want to extend grace and peace to every person who happens to find their way to this community. So that being said, uh, Ryan, uh, would you please lead us in a benediction or a blessing? May those of you who have felt crushed by the weight of religious expectation find peace in a Jesus who cares more about your heart than your religious duty. And may those who are feeling compelled by a new way of living we see in Jesus, may you find community and may nothing hold back the kingdom of God from bursting forth in your life. Grace and peace be with you. Have a great night.